17, 1 to, do you know where it ends? 8, okay. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. It's the word of God. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to spend time every Sunday looking at Jesus. And we always see more. There's never a time when we get a full view that we know everything that we could possibly know about him. But there's so much more. We've just barely, barely scratched the surface. And thank you that we have this time to to look for more and to experience more. Thank you for your word that allows us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some books uh, endure in meaning and in relevance over a long period of time. One of those is a book written by Lawrence J. Peter. And he was developing a management theory and uh, his premise was called the Peter Principle, and he stated that members of a hierarchy are promoted until they reach their level of incompetence. And in the Bible, the most obvious example of that is coincidentally named Peter. Last week in Matthew 16, we saw Peter in one of his best moments, correctly answering the most important theological question ever. And that resulted in a major promotion, which was immediately followed by one of his worst moments. In fact, Jesus was so disturbed, he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was at his best when he was listening to God. And he was at his worst when he was listening to Satan. That's when he stopped thinking like God and started thinking like men. In fact, on this topic of suffering, he actually thought he was smarter than Jesus. So Peter reached his level of incompetence when he overestimated himself. And that's the second most serious mistake that we can make in our Christian lives, overestimating ourselves. But Peter isn't finished yet. In the next chapter, he commits the most serious mistake that followers of Christ can make. 
It says in Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, Jesus loved his disciples equally, but there were three who had distinguished themselves, and perhaps more so in the area of understanding than anything else. These three were capable of understanding more about what Jesus was all about. John chapter 15, verse 15 explains where Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know or doesn't understand his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus longs to make things known to you. If only we would be willing to understand or ready to understand. And so this was one of those times. This is a time when he would take those three that were most receptive and reveal something to them that no one else had seen before. But wait a minute, it says he took Peter, James, and John. Why did he take Peter? A week ago, Peter had exposed himself as a double agent. He was propagating the doctrine of demons. Didn't that disqualify him from any leadership position? If someone proves incompetent, you don't give them even more responsibility. Wasn't Peter unfit for leadership? Well, of course not. Those of us who are leaders in the church know how very unskilled and unworthy we are. But the Lord uses us anyway. In fact, often failure becomes a very important part of the maturity process. As Erwin Lutzer wrote, everyone is stronger for knowing the worst about themselves and then acting on it. So Jesus took Peter, James, and John and up the mountain. And so in verse 2 it says, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Wow! If only Jesus would have done that publicly, he would have cleared up so many doubts. He would have effectively silenced all of his critics once and for all. I've heard many people say, if I could only see something supernatural, then I would believe. Put me down as undecided until I see some convincing evidence. When it comes to faith, most people are sightseers. I won't believe it, until I see it. But that's not how it works. Christianity moves in the opposite direction. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing the word, the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. So we are the ones who believe, not because of what we've seen, but because of what we've heard through God's word. And that's exactly what, the way it was in Peter's case. Why did Peter believe that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God? Well, Jesus explained in Matthew 16, 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. Peter had been listening to God. He believed because of what he heard. And so because Peter already believed, he was now 
given the privilege of seeing proof. First you believe, then you will see. And so there was Jesus transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. It was like, like watching a thermonuclear explosion through a stained glass window. It was an overwhelming glimpse of glory. Peter now got to see evidence confirming what he already believed. But there was more to come. The next verse says, Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now that's what you call a summit conference. Arguably the three most important figures in human history. Moses representing the law of God. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. The two towering figures of the old covenant meeting with the one who came to establish a new covenant. What do you think they were talking about? Well, in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, it says, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they were discussing the crucifixion, the very topic that Peter didn't want to deal with. What Moses and Elijah started could only be finished by Jesus through his death and resurrection. So just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. We don't have the time to deal with all the theological implications of this verse. I do want to point out the significance of Moses. Because at the end of his life, Moses had disqualified himself from entering the promised land. But 16 centuries later, he finally made it in. And it was worth the wait because this is what it was all about. Moses, who had seen the glory of God on Mount Sinai, now could see him face to face. I'm sure they could have talked for hours. Unfortunately, they were rudely interrupted by guess who? Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, there are people who have something to say, and there are people who have to say something. And Peter was both. He was always interrupting. Peter had interrupted Jesus when he was in the middle of pouring his heart out in Matthew 16. And now he interrupts this summit meeting with a brilliant idea. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Scholars suggest this could also be translated, it is good that we are here. Lucky for you because we can build some shelters for all three of you. Peter wanted to prolong this experience, this mountaintop experience. Let's not adjourn this meeting. Let's keep it going. Besides, you never know who else will show up. Maybe even Abraham. Oh, this would be a perfect place for our worldwide headquarters. We could administrate the kingdom of God from up here. And we'll start by making the three of you more comfortable. I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So in Matthew 16, 
Jesus was talking about building his church. And in Matthew 17, Peter was talking about building shelters. You know, it's great to be with Jesus, but just imagine getting Moses and Elijah also. That's what you call a triple threat. Let's put up three shelters. What do you think? Was Peter once again flirting with heresy? In the previous chapter, Peter had expressed his conviction that Jesus Christ was superior to Elijah and all of the other Hall of Famers in the Old Testament. But now, now that he's seen Moses and Elijah in glorious splendor, Peter couldn't help but be impressed. What was going on in his mind? I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, this is as far as most religions are able to reach. For example, in, in Islam, they recognize Jesus as a major prophet, and they accord him great respect. And Jesus is present in many religions and cults. And in some, he even has a prominent place. But only in Christianity is Jesus preeminent. Paul explains in Philippians 2, he says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Moses and Elijah and Jesus were not the Trinity. The Son's only peer group consists of the Father and the Holy Spirit. No one else even comes close. So if we place Jesus anywhere else but the highest place, we are seriously underestimating him. If we bring anyone up to his level, that is a heresy. We cannot take Jesus and put him anywhere else. So in Matthew 16, we see the second most serious mistake that we can make. Peter overestimated himself and immediately found his level of incompetence. In Matthew 17, we see the most serious mistake. Peter underestimated Jesus and made himself eligible for another rebuke. In fact, it was the Father, God Almighty, who interrupted Peter and decided to cancel his building permit while giving him another theology lesson. It says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped him, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with, who, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. What happened? Where, where did they go? Are they coming back? No. We don't need Moses. We don't need Elijah anymore. We just need Jesus. So when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. 
You see, if you have Jesus, you don't need Buddha, you don't need Mohammed, you don't need Mary, you don't need Joseph Smith, you don't need a pope, we just need Jesus. This is my son, God said, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I will build my church. He did not say, I will build my denominations. The church was his idea. Denominations were not part of the original floor plan. This was our idea. Can you imagine what might have happened here? You got three shelters that could have been the beginning of the first church split in history, the first three denominations. Because John might have been inclined toward Elijah. After all, they had a lot in common. Remember the time he was chased out of a village? John wanted to retaliate. Let's order some fire from heaven. Let's nuke them like the good old days of Elijah. He was a son of thunder, and maybe Jesus was just a little too forgiving. And sure, Jesus performed a resurrection, but so did Elijah. Brother James might have tended towards Moses as a future apostle and leader of the church who aspired to be the right-hand man in the kingdom of God, James had a lot to learn from Moses, who led the Hebrew nation for 40 years. I mean, Jesus only had, what, 12 disciples? That's small time compared to Moses. James might have spent a lot of time in the Moses shelter. He would need all the thou thou shalt nots he could get. James was good at that. On one occasion, he found someone casting out demons using the name of Jesus, but he wasn't part of their group. So he stopped him and forbid him from doing that. And yes, yes, Jesus walked on water, but Moses divided the Red Sea. He was no slouch. And obviously Peter would have been in the Jesus pavilion where no one would have gotten in a word edgewise. Christians have this tendency of just kind of you know, going off a little bit, and it gets further and further and further. In the church at Corinth, they had a similar fragmentation. There was a group that said, I am of Paul. Another group said, I'm of Apollos. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm of Christ, checkmate. Who knows what spiritual mutations were dormant in Peter's proposal? That's why God had to intervene. This is my son, Listen to him. Sure, Moses had done great things. He had delivered the Ten Commandments to the chosen people along with all the other requirements of God's law. The greatest legal documents in history. But Moses could not bring salvation. The law only made it easier to identify sin. And eventually, Moses reached his level of incompetence. And the Bible says the law was only a shadow of what was to come. Moses was not enough. Someone more was needed. And Elijah was a dynamic prophet who stood alone and defied the principalities of evil in Israel with the power of the prophetic word punctuated with signs and wonders. But his miraculous demonstrations did not change the world. 
In fact, he finally faltered and ran away in despair. Elijah also reached his level of incompetence. Something more was needed, someone more. So Moses and Elijah were gone because someone far greater was now here. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Hebrews 12 reminds us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus, high and exalted, above all powers, above all kings. Look at Jesus, the Son of God, the only way to heaven, the only name given to man by which we may be saved. You don't need to look anywhere else because there is no other salvation. This year, we're celebrating 50 years of Thornhill Baptist Church in this building. And 50 years ago, this church began with a faith in Jesus. Now, that faith was not that Jesus Christ is one of the most important ways to God, because that's not the gospel. And that faith was not that Jesus Christ is the most important way to God, because that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. There is no other. There's no one in second place. There's no alternative. There's no reasonable facsimile. It's only Jesus. And that's what this church believed 50 years ago. And it's interesting that our society as a whole generally agreed with that, whether they made it personal or not. 50 years later, this church is still proclaiming that exact same faith in the midst of a society that no longer believes that at all, that are offended by the very suggestion. And yet we still maintain that faith because that is the gospel. It's Jesus, only Jesus. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. God said, this is my son, listen to him. We don't need a second opinion. In fact, all human opinion, all knowledge, all intelligence, all wisdom has a relatively short sh shelf life. But Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. If this church continues for another 500 years, the message will still be the same. We don't ever have to change that. So we do not base our lives on what Oprah says or what you hear on Ellen or what CNN or Fox News says or what the Supreme Court has decided or what the government has decreed. If we do that, we become spiritually incompetent and utterly ineffective. But we base our lives on God's word. We will not conform to the world but we will let our minds be transformed so that we will know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we will become competent to live the Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. How many of you agree with that? Okay, here's the hard part. It's easy 
because we've, been, we've grown up in this. It's easy to theologically affirm that because we know it's true. But is that a practical reality in our everyday lives? On the mountain, there was Moses, there was Elijah, there was Jesus. Let's make this personal. What are the three biggest factors in your life? Well, it's, uh, it's my career, it's my family, and Jesus. Well, which one has the greatest influence? What three factors are impacting you right now? My health, my financial pressures, and Jesus. But which is the most important? My top three would be... Uh, my problems, my pills, and Jesus in no particular order. Maybe it's, it's my dreams, my Facebook friends, and, and of course Jesus, although Jesus should be a little higher. He is on Sunday mornings. What are the three most important? It's my iPhone, my investments, and, and probably Jesus. What has the greatest impact in your life? My fears my moods, and Jesus. You see, Jesus, unfortunately, gets a lot of competition. There are so many things that we look at, that we fix our eyes on, so many things that we just get mesmerized by. They dominate our attention. So many things take our attention away from Jesus. Here's three. Me, myself, and then Jesus, once I've satisfied me and myself. It is so easy to underestimate the importance of Jesus Christ in our everyday living. Whenever we do that, we reach our level of incompetence. And you know how that works. You get overwhelmed by fear and anxiety and worry. You look at the future and you despair. Whenever we underestimate Jesus, we lose our perspective, we lose our peace, our joy, we lose our hope. We even lose our ability to love sacrificially. And that's when we become most vulnerable to pride and selfishness and anxiety and worry and fear. So what are the three most important factors in your life? Is it possible to set aside the other two so that you see no one except Jesus? Is it possible to turn down the volume on all the other influences and give him your undivided attention? I heard a Natalie Grant song this morning on uh, YouTube had some good lines in it. Help me want the healer more than the healing. Help me want the savior more than the salvation. How big of a factor is Jesus in our everyday experience? We need to develop the habit of giving Jesus not just prominence, but preeminence in our lives. 
and remind ourselves that Jesus is far bigger than our problems. He's bigger than depression. He's bigger than cancer. Why, he's even bigger than death. John 16, 33, Jesus, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you, in me you may have peace. Are you looking for peace? Oh, we need that so badly. Jesus says, in me you will have peace. But how is that possible? Because we have trouble. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome everything that you're dealing with. There's nothing you need to be afraid of. You can be at peace. Take heart, I have overcome the world. I've realized that most of my problems are local. I have no problems on Jupiter or Mars. They're all kind of in the world. But Jesus has overcome the world. Everything the world could throw at him, everything the world could do to stop him, he overcame it all through his death and resurrection. Jesus has overcome the world. So my assignment this week and for the rest of my life is to make sure I don't overestimate myself and above all that I don't underestimate Jesus. Those are the two worst mistakes that we can make. We need to be aware of that. Everyone is stronger for knowing the worst about themselves and then acting on it. It's not just knowing the worst about ourselves. It's even more important to know the best about Jesus. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And you know what? They hadn't lost anything. Moses was gone, Elijah was gone, but they hadn't lost anything because Jesus was still there. And every single day of your life, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you lose, you can look and say, there's Jesus, I'll never lose him. That's what really matters. Father, we thank you so much for the reality of knowing that there is no way that we can lose the most important part of our lives. Who is our life? Jesus, above all powers, above all kings. May he truly be that in our lives on a daily basis. Fear, where is your sting? Anxiety, where is your power? Jesus has overcome it all. Praise be to the name of Jesus. Amen.